I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. As we've been doing our deep dive into the mass, we've chatted through, we've talked about, we've we've really tried to dig into the different ways that we can better prepare to walk into the mass when we go on Sunday or if we're going in the middle of the week for a daily mass. And one of the things that consistently came up in our, our planning was that, you know, sometimes you walk into mass on Sunday, you might be more prepared than you ever have been. You've read the readings ahead of time. You thought yourself of possible themes that father could touch on in the homily. Maybe you even had conversations with your kids or with your spouse or with their roommate talking through, okay, this is what mass is about this weekend. And then the second you walk in, it's just distraction city. There's all the things in your mind that all of a sudden seem to be much more important than paying attention to what father is saying or what's actually happening in that confusing second reading. Or there's a very cute but perhaps noisy child a few pews in front of you. Or maybe there's somebody next to you who has a persistent cough or they consistently clear their throat. And so all you can think about is, oh my gosh, did they come to church sick? I wish they would just be quiet. There's so many different things that can remove us from the moment. And we wanted to talk about how, on the one hand, those distractions can can sometimes be detrimental, for sure, but maybe could be rerouted. Maybe that we could actually develop some sort of muscle to not lean into those as the only thing that we pay attention to, the only thing that we notice. Maybe there's a way that we can almost develop this holy habit of recognizing that all those distractions, the person clearing their throat, the child that's being a little too loud, father's meandering homily, whatever it is, actually remind us of the communal nature of our worship. We wanted to sit down with somebody who's done the research on this, who's thought about this from a psychological perspective, from a theological perspective. Shannon Wimpschmidt works in parish and diocesan ministry. She is an author. She is a mom. She is a speaker. She travels. She has a great podcast. Some amazing things that she has to share about what it really means to recognize that these distractions can be part of our worship. Not the whole reason that we're showing up, but they're there. So how can we maybe embrace them? How can we lean into them? This is all part of our Ave Explorer series on the Mass. If you click down in the show notes, we have a link to our website where we have everything available to you. Our podcasts, our video conversations on Instagram Live that happen every Monday at 1130 Central. And there's a link to a survey where you can submit questions for Father Blake Britton to answer on an upcoming Instagram Live. So you're definitely going to want to submit your questions about the Mass there. So many amazing things that we're creating for you. But for right now, we'd love it if you'd sit back and enjoy this conversation with Shannon Wimp-Schmidt about distractions and holiness and the Mass. Shannon, welcome back to Ave Explores. So great to be here, Katie. Thanks for having me again. So we're recording this post-Easter, so happy Easter. How was Easter for you guys? I know you work in a parish. You've got a bunch of kids. How did Easter go for all of you? It went really well. This was the first time we split up our family for Easter. So my oldest came with me to the Easter vigil. I run our RCIA process. So we were there initiating new members, which was so joyful. And he came and he made it like I was super impressed because he made it through like an hour and a half of mom working before mass, then like two to two and a half hours of vigil and like the reception afterwards. So we left at like midnight and mm. he was tired, but he like was great the whole time. And I was like, wow, this is a whole new level of mo- being a mom at church. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, having previously just had little kids who I'm just trying to like corral during mass, it's been a joy. But other than that, it was beautiful. Um, it was great to kind of have a full house again at church after two mm-hmm. years, not really having it. And just the joy of, of celebrating you know, new people initiated and all that. So how about you? (laughs) It was, so we decided no Triduum, which is they're four and and 18 months. And Mm -hmm. our Holy Thursday mass starts at seven. Well, that's bedtime. Mm -hmm. And then Good Friday is at three and that's nap time. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Easter Vigil, 8 p.m. Like I'm in bed by 8 p.m. So we just decided, we were like, you know what? We're going to make it to 7 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning. Like we always do. We're usually at four on Saturday or seven on on Sunday. And it was okay. Like we survived the mass. We have learned that less is more when we walk into church with the kids. Like I used to bring in a diaper bag and I'm like, now it's like, no, if she uses, you know, if she needs a diaper change, I'll just walk out to the van. Like I'll just do it out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And we bring them in with just these two little drawstring bags that have two small books and like a Catholic toy. And, and try to keep them just focused with that. But it was on Easter Sunday morning that I, and so this is like immediately after I can reflect on this, but like it was the first mass in a really long time where I actually felt like I halfway listened. Mm-hmm. I knew what the gospel was, so I didn't have to like listen to that all the way, but I was able to actually listen to the homily. Our priest gave a beautiful homily about Babette's Feast, the movie. Oh, yeah. I basically felt like I watched the movie and he was, you know, talking about how sometimes we don't accept the the abundant love of the Lord. It was beautiful. And I, I like, I walked out and I was like, I, I listened to that. Like, how did I get away with listening to that? And like, what did I do? Like, I have to reformulate this exactly so that next Sunday, <laughs> the next Sunday, Tommy is going to be solo because I'm going to be out of town for an event. But like for the next time that we're all back at mass together, I can replicate this. And sometimes that's what we were talking about, right? We're talking about our kids in church. We're talking about getting distracted in mass. We're talking about walking out of church and being like, wait, what just happened? Tell us a little bit about your, your background before we get into some of these intense conversations that I think a lot of Catholics are having, but maybe not with people other than the people that they're married to or the people that they're closest to about distractions. Tell us a little bit about what you do, what you studied, and and Providence would have it, what you actually wrote your thesis on. Yes, I'm very excited. You, you hooked me with like three words in this email invitation. So as Katie alluded to, I work in a parish full-time. I'm a, a pastoral associate at a parish here. I have a master's degree in pastoral studies, in addition to having done, you know, training for diversity and equity and inclusion and all sorts of other stuff. And I have two degrees in theology. So my first undergraduate degree in theology and then the pastoral studies master's. And I wrote my thesis, my master's thesis on the idea of attention, silence, and basically contemplation in the liturgy, because I'm a real nerd. (laughs) And I love, I love the mass. I love all sorts of liturgical studies. And so really looking at like social psychology and what that teaches us about the brain, and then how we sort of translate that into our experience of the mass and what that teaches us about how to apply that to our daily lives. You know, how do we like take those things that we experience at mass and like translate them into things like better patience, better, you know, more compassion, those kinds of things. So I'm very excited to talk about distraction today. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's, so I have been Catholic for 32 years. It was like not an, I was born into it. Um, My mom is a convert and she and I have actually had the conversation. So she converted not long after she met my dad Mm. before they got married. And the difference 
that she immediately recognized between her growing up in a Southern Baptist community where there was a lot of activity in their worship. Mm -hmm. There was Sunday school. So kids were not in the main Uh church. Like they were in a hall somewhere. So it was just adults that were able to be quiet when they needed to be quiet, were able to say hallelujah when they needed to say hallelujah Mm -hmm. to stepping into a Catholic church and not only stepping into a Catholic church, but the church that we all go to in town is a very modern looking Catholic church. So there is like just a lot of echo that happens to where yeah. every, if, if somebody across the church moves their shirt, you hear it where oh, you're wow. sitting on the other <laughs> side. And there's nowhere to, I hate to say there's nowhere to hide, but like the beauty of some older Catholic churches that you can get up and you can like walk out and stand behind a column mm-hmm. or enter into a nave and like mm-hmm. calm a child down. Or like, if you need to like, you know, you're coughing, you need to breathe. But there's no escaping public eyes when you walk out of our church. And so she and I have had the conversation about how she coming into the church 30 plus, 40 plus years ago was totally shocked by the the amount of stimulus, mm-hmm. stimuli, yeah. how, how much is going on. But yet at the same time, not being able to focus versus like the church that she grew up at, like it, even with all that stuff going on, she was able to focus. And mm-hmm. maybe I'm not describing it as well, because like I feel having been Catholic my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sit, stand, kneel. Like I know what's coming next. Like I can focus because there's no surprises. Like the pastor's mm-hmm. not going to like call for a hymn. Like I know <laughs> when the next one's coming. And they tell me the numbers to look at. So as a very orderly person, this is great. Like there's no surprises of what we're singing today. I'll look it up ahead of time and figure out the harmony. Mm-hmm. But let's let's dig into that. First of all, why were you captivated by that topic? about our attention and our focus. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that really fascinated about me, and I read the book, it's a, a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. It's yes. all about how our oh, brain is. Such, such a, a great, great book. book. Read it. It's kind of hefty, but he does a great job of like making it work for your average person. So you're not like mm-hmm. reading this like deep psychological text. So we read that book as part of like some training I was doing And I was fascinated by the fact that we think that we are more in control of our actions than we are. And that's not to say that like we don't have free will or we don't like, you know, or we don't have the ability to control ourselves, but the brain has something that he he calls rationality, right? Our ability to use what we now know in the brain as the prefrontal cortex. So the part of the brain that does the higher level thinking to judge our our choices in a situation or or to judge our responses most of our actions as we grow especially by the time we're adults are kind of controlled by our what is considered our lower brain right it's our automatic response we have this idea of the way that we think is basically called associative thinking right like so Mm -hmm. if you hear the word water your brain automatically comes up with a bunch of associations right and so our rationality is the ability to take those responses and channel them into action, right? So Mm -hmm. the more that we are able to build that skill, the more that we're able to sort of control our responses. And we don't always want to do that, right? Like some of the joy of being in a profession for a long time is that those little things that maybe when you first learned them were hard to do, you know, like I think about, we have a podcast and like, I think about when I first learned editing, how long it took me. And now it's sort of second nature, right? So those are skills that we want to build so that they don't become hard. And our brain actually doesn't like things to be hard, right? We don't Mm -hmm. want to put in a lot of effort. So the reason that I found that so interesting as a Christian is that, right, I do believe in free will. 
And I do think that I should have control over my actions and that like the responses I have to people should look a certain way because Jesus Christ has invited me into that sort of life. But if I looked at my every day, that actually is not the case, right? Like uh, my automatic response to something just is, and it's not bad, but that idea then that maybe I don't have as much free will as I thought sort of Mm -hmm. led me into like, how does the Christian life help us overcome that, right? If our automatic Mm -hmm. response is, I'm angry because someone said this. But we know as Christians, we're not act out of anger. How do we like get from I'm angry and I'm reacting out of anger to I'm going to take a deep breath and like react fully. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of what fascinated me about that. And I have many thoughts about how mass does that for us, but I'll let you yeah. know. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned water and I, of course, think, oh, yeah, I'm thirsty and there's no water on my desk right now. Or like you mentioned somebody says something that makes you angry and like my mind immediately goes to the usher at mass five or six weeks ago who got annoyed with us because we chose to go to the communion line with the priest Mm -hmm. rather than circle around to the extra. And it was purely because Rose wanted a blessing and I have no problem going to extra administrative communion, but it's Mm -hmm. father Andy. He's our family friend. We call him uncle Andy and she wanted to go (laughs) up there. And so it's like, and the usher like glares at us and I don't have time in that moment to explain mm-hmm. why I'm choosing to avoid the meltdown and just mm-hmm. go do what she wants in the middle of church, but at the detriment of, of this man's peace in this moment. And so my visceral reaction is stop trying to control families and instead of <laughs> yeah. having this very patient approach to he has a system and you have a child and there's not time for the two of you to come to an understanding. You just need to be a little more accepting of the realities that you're both facing in this moment. And so I love that for thinking fast and slow. I read that book with mutual friend of ours, Robert Fiducia and I reread mm, that book together, great, like yeah. a super book club. And it was great because it was such a, an eye-opening aware of how, how little I actually realized my brain is running. Obviously like my brain's in charge, but I don't think I'm in charge of my brain. That brings up a whole other conversation about mm-hmm. awareness and, and the, the soul and all of that. Yep. But here's another one. Have you read a second one? Noise? No, although that it's sounds ex- fascinating. It's going I, it's going very slow, but he wrote it, I think, during COVID ah. about the voices that come into our head, the influences that come into mm-hmm. our head that do or do not actually affect whether we realize it or not. And he does this whole media analysis. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like who that you're listening to. Like my it's so good. It's oh, it's yeah. worth <laughs> the nerds in us are like, yeah, like let's mm-hmm. and like let's try to apply this to the church. So let's dig into that. Now, to zoom out for a second, we're in the middle of this series on the mass. We've talked about everything from like why the mass matters to what is actually happening in the mass to the history of the mass. And now we're at the point where, okay, we're going every Sunday or we're trying to if we're lucky. And then our kids are like maybe sitting still or like we're not thinking about the grocery list or we're not concerned about these 15 things that need to be done at work on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. We are at mass and all this stimuli is happening and all of these choices are being made, whether we realize it or not. What did you discover as you were writing about this attention and about these decisions and this free will versus not free will? What have you unpacked? Yeah. So I think the first and most important thing I discovered is the way as I, as I dove into the topic, I really got into like, how does ritual influence our brain? And one of the mm-hmm. things that I find most fascinating is that the repetition of ritual changes our memory, right? So as we repeat- Say that again, say that again. That was so good. The repetition of ritual changes our memory. 
So as we repeat ritual actions, right, with our body, right, we, we all love the Catholic gymnastics, right? It, it, it has a psychosomatic effect on us when we yeah. kneel, right, or when we stand or whatever we're doing. When we stand for the gospel, right, that, that tells our bodies it's amazing and we should all stand up and be excited, right? Mm-hmm. And so that reshapes the patterns of thinking in our brain so that it becomes basically a core memory and Mm -hmm. it becomes a memory of what we would call a memory of fact. So the patterns that I've created create a fact, a worldview, a way that I think in my brain. So you know, when we repeat Eucharist over and over again, that idea of receiving, of breaking, of blessing, of giving, of being connected in communion, it creates a fact in my brain about how I view the world, that the world is a place where communion is possible. The world is a place where I open myself to God. If we think about the reason we read the same scriptures over and over again, right? Those stories make patterns in our brain. So not only do we see them as true things that have really happened and true things that have happened to us, but also that we begin to recognize those patterns through associative thinking in our own lives, right? We recognize Mm -hmm. the idea of dying and rising, right? Of the the sea being parted by God at the Exodus, entering into new life. All of those themes, right? That we talk about in the Christian life, they become part of our thinking and we start to see that, right? So we start to, by our ritual, see God working in our everyday life, right? If we're sort of entering into it in the right, uh, right spirit. Shannon's got some amazing things to share. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. I want to remind you that Shannon has a book with Ave Maria Press, an excellent book. I absolutely loved it, called Fat Luther, Slim Pickens. And the whole premise of the book, you're going to love it. It's about living the liturgical year and the Black Catholic experience. You can grab a copy of the book over at AveMariaPress.com. We have a link down in the show notes as well as a discount code. So you can find that down in our show notes and find everything over at our website, AveMariaPress.com. All right, back to the conversation with Shannon. I hate to use the word emotional because we're so often told that like our emotions don't matter, facts don't care about your feelings, which I hate that line. But like, but there is an emotive response. Like I hear Jesus Christ is risen today on Easter Sunday morning and I'm overcome mm-hmm. by joy. It's like, that is such a banger. Like yeah. I am just like, yes, it's <laughs> like, let's do all of the up and downs on uh-huh. that. Hallelujah. Like I'm going to go home and hum it for the next eight days. But mm-hmm. there's almost like this visceral response mm-hmm. to what we have done consistently. And so the mass, you know, sometimes the criticism that Catholics get is, oh, it's the same thing. It's so boring. And it's like, but our non-Catholic brothers and sisters are doing the same thing. Like there's Mm -hmm. a hymn and there's preaching Mm -hmm. and there's another hymn. And like, there's, there's, they have their version of this. Mm -hmm. And yet it's always kind of, you're trying to get back to the ritualistic worship that we've been doing for centuries Mm -hmm. that culminates in this moment of whether it's ad orientum, whether it's, it's ad populum, like whatever Mm -hmm. it or versus populum, whatever, whatever version you're experiencing, the same words are being said. Mm -hmm. The same transformative moment is happening up there and in, in your heart. So why is it so darn easy? If it's such (laughs) something that is embedded in us, if my brain chemistry is literally changed 
because I've been going to math every Sunday since I was a, an infant and now have my own infants with me. Why does the lady coughing behind me with her pack of Marlboros hanging out of her purse, like why does that immediately distract me? Or why does father saying one thing that I know is like maybe not entirely mm-hmm. true in his homily, like make me like, I have to write an entire essay disproving this mm-hmm. point. Or why is my kid just being a kid? She's four and she doesn't necessarily want to be told what to do. And right now you have to sit still. No, you cannot wave to that person. Like, why do those things, if my brain chemistry has changed, why am I getting so darn distracted, Shannon? What's the thing? Uh, two reasons. One, first foremost, to go back to Daniel Kahneman, right? We only have so much attention to give and we can build that through building our rationality, right? That I talked about earlier. But at the end of the day, like we do have, times where like what we would call ego depletion, right? Our, our brain is done and it needs a break. Think about if you're, my husband's a a math teacher, so he loves to do math problems and it's easy for him. But if I were to do them, it would require a lot of focus for me. And so I'm using energy and brain energy in particular. And so I would need a break. Whereas for me, reading a theology text is not super hard because I've read a lot of them. So like, I don't need to think about the vocabulary and the patterns of thinking. It's sort of the skills that we build. So there's that, right? And in mass, we are sort of entering into this thing that requires our attention, right? Especially when you're talking Mm -hmm. about like the liturgy of the word, because that's not the same every week, right? We kind of zone out at the liturgy of the Eucharist because it's basically the same words. The other thing too, is that when um, the, the idea of surprise, so when something's out of the ordinary, right? We're so used to that ritual. It diverts our attention in a way that the ordinary wouldn't. So when I think about, I was thinking about this at Easter, right? The, the words of the preface, which is the prayer before, mm-hmm. before we consecrate the gifts, all of those things, they're changed because it's Easter and it's special, right? And so like we all of a sudden, our attention shifts because it's not, you know, the same old, or if the priest right. switches up, you know, maybe they're using a different Eucharistic prayer, you know, maybe they always use one and then they switch it to the other one. Like our priests don't use the Roman canon very often, which is Eucharist prayer one. But when I do, right, and that list of saints comes and then I start paying attention to that list of saints right. because it's different than the other times when they're just doing short one because it's a Sunday. And so, you know, when we hear that baby or when we see that lady coughing, right, it, it sort of takes us out of the moment because it's out of the ordinary. And the interesting thing is, when we experience something, when we experience surprise one time, it sort of takes us out of the moment. But if we were to experience a similar thing the next time, or we were to see someone, our brain automatically assumed, makes an association that those two things are related. So let's say that lady comes in next week with her Marlboros and she's still coughing. After a couple of weeks, you wouldn't notice her because you're like, right. she's probably got something to do with, you know, <laughs> some COPD or something, right? And so you wouldn't notice, but it's that sort of taking you out of the ordinary. And so that's one of the key things about building that skill of rationality is that it allows us to sort of like, we will still have that moment of surprise, but it allows us to refocus our attention. Mm -hmm. And so that's something not only that the mass does, but that we can also do in our daily lives, especially through meditation and contemplative prayer. We can talk about that later. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's building the muscle of... Mm -hmm 
that doesn't throw me off. Like I, I'm going to make the analogy because I'm, I'm in a, a 50 days of Peloton in the midst right yeah. now because I was going to do 40 days for Lent and it just did not work out because Lent got really Lenty. Yeah. But now we're in 50 days of if Jesus can rise from the dead, then I can get on the stationary bike can do it. And, and do the work. <laughs> and when I got it back in January, the joke that so many of my friends made, and I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this on a podcast, but we'll see if they keep it in. I was like, eventually you're going to get a Peloton butt. And I was like, what? And they're like, and they're like no, no, no. It's like not, you're not going to lose weight. It's not the point of getting this thing. Anyways, mm-hmm. It's like you're not even going to notice that you're getting on this very uncomfortable saddle because you're you're building the muscle mm-hmm. to where it doesn't bother you anymore. Like it doesn't. Yes, my kids throw me off in church, but like I know what to do. Muscle memory. Just OK, hand clear this popper toy, mm-hmm. hand rose this water pen, like redirect attention in this particular way. Make sure you grab a dollar in time for the dropping it in the basket or you're mm-hmm. definitely going to have a meltdown because that's participation. Like we have got to mm-hmm. be involved in some way. And so there was this one Sunday we walked out of church. So we switched parishes in the fall to match the school that Rose goes to. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we're very good friends with both of the priests, So, which is not, it's a small diocese. We could say that about any of the parishes that we chose to go to. But <laughs> of course, the first Sunday that we are there officially as parishioners and like in my head, okay, we're here, we're doing it. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is our community now. Mm-hmm. Claire was just a terror on two legs, like just she discovered that day that she could screech at a certain volume. And of course, that was the day I decided we're going to try to sit closer to the front so that they can see. And I walk out of church apologizing to pretty much anybody that would make eye contact with me. Because like, <laughs> now it's like we're the new people that have arrived. And hello, welcome. We come with a sound box named Claire <laughs> who's going to distract all of you. And the father was great about it. Father Nathan Long here in Lake Charles. And he just smiled and he said, I didn't even notice. And I thought he was, I thought he was just being nice. And I was like, no father, like, I really am sorry. Like I, there's no way you didn't notice. He was like, Katie, there's first of all, 20, 30 kids in the church. So that I had no way of knowing who was screaming when. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I just, I'm used to it. And that's not often the reaction that you get with screechy kids. It's certainly not always the reactions you get from parishioners, whatever it is. This, this parish is kind of like a little unicorn and that most of the people that sit around you just like look at you and they're like, been there. Like, we get it. Like, we've, there's awesome. a, one lady who's known for passing out holy cards to families to like give kids something new to look at. And it's just mm-hmm. the sweetest thing. But whether it's your kids or whether it's all that stress at work or, you know, whether it, it's just like you just didn't feel like going to mass that day and you're so mm-hmm. like, you're annoyed. You walk in annoyed that you have to do this, even though you know it's probably going to be good yeah. for you and you walk yeah. out feeling better <laughs> before you walked in. All of those things can throw us off. All of those things can lead us to a place of maybe even resentment. Like I'm always worried I'm making my kids resent church because they don't seem to always enjoy it right away because mommy's being corrective or this is boring or whatever. You mentioned there's a way to fight against this or there's a way to where those stimuli don't throw us off or there's a way that it's almost like there's a switch that you can flip to where like, okay, well, this is the muscle zone that I'm in, but now I'm going to kick it up a notch to try to prevent it. What did you discover as you were writing and as you were researching? And what are maybe some practical ways that we can develop those skills to fight against that visceral reaction that sometimes happens? <laughs> Absolutely. So there's a couple of things we can do. I mean, I think things like therapy, spiritual direction, all of those things yeah. that kind of give us a chance to step back and reflect on our actions. Uh, even if you're just doing like the examine from St. Ignatius of Loyola, right? That that you're taking a moment to like reflect on your day and process it when you have some time. That's great, right? Like that's a way to sort of like recognize patterns in our behavior. But I'd say there, there's kind of two really practical things that would help people in building this muscle that we've been talking about. First, 
we build habits, right? Working mm-hmm. on building habits is the number one way that we can get our, our lower brain to do things automatically, right? Think about a kid learning to walk, right? They just do it over and over again until they figure it out because the brain is figuring it out. And that's sort of what we do. That's that's the joy of Lent, right? They say it takes 40-ish days to form a habit, right? So if we're giving up one thing or we're doing something extra, praying more, then we're forming that habit, So if I want to work on putting my phone down and spending time with my kids, then I need to like set a achievable goal for how to do that. I'm going to like at three o'clock, my alarm's going to go off and I'm going to put it down for 15 minutes and and sort Mm -hmm. of build that. So that's the easiest way Um, because it's not necessarily working on our prefrontal cortex, right? That part that controls it, but we're building the positive habits. How many times has somebody told you build a good habit in your spiritual life, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's a great advice, no matter what. And then the second thing we can do, there's a couple of different ways, but one of the easiest things is what in the secular world would be called mindfulness meditation or practicing mindfulness. We, you know, in the church, we kind of talk about as contemplative prayer, some of those mm-hmm. mindful habits, right? Of taking a moment for gratitude or, or whatever, especially something like, let's say, Lexio Divina, or again, Ignatius with the exam and some of those contemplative practices that the church has been doing for so long, they are really like, you know, life hacks to improve your control over your brain, because it helps you learn how to pay attention. And also through those practices, basically the brain rewrites itself. So not only are you working on sort of building that ability to pay attention, but you actually gain brain cells in your prefrontal cortex, in those parts of the brain that are controlling your actions versus the automatic responses. Mm -hmm. So like, that's pretty amazing. You're rewriting your brain right, through prayer, mm-hmm. through connecting with the Lord, right? And that's not the, the purpose of prayer or contemplative prayer. It's to connect. It's, it's a nice benefit though. It is a great benefit, right? And so so that's something that we can do is that even if you spend 15 minutes praying the rosary, right? That's a really easy contemplative prayer where it sort of like gives you that automatic stuff to take away the distraction from your brain. And that's one way that we can build that. And then our brain just sort of automatically starts to take those suggestions of that associative thinking and say like, is this okay? Is this not right? And it has benefits, right? It has benefits in our political life, in our family life, in our work life, all of those things will be able to better examine our responses to stimuli. And so Mm -hmm. that's really great. Why wouldn't you do that? And you get to spend with Jesus. (laughs) And and it makes mass more, I'm not going to say tolerable, Mm -hmm. but I'm better equipped to be able to get more out of it, which that's not why we go. I had a, I got in a debate one time with a, a more traditional Catholic friend of mine. And I basically said, I was like, I like to get something out of mass. And he was like, that's mm-hmm. not the point. And I was like, no, but I feel like I'm being disrespectful to the Lord if I show up and I'm just sitting there like a bump on a log. We were, we were debating about whether or not you should say the rosary in mass. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, look, like I'm in the middle of mass. Like, I feel like I would be basically saying like, okay, Jesus, I know you're here, but I'm going to talk to your mom for a little while. Yeah. Versus this, <laughs> like, I can get through three or four rosaries in a, in a course of a mass. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm ultimately praying and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, but shouldn't you be doing that on your own time? Like, isn't, and, and so I feel like there's a way that this can help us 
whether it's the squirmy kids or you're the person who's watching somebody else's squirmy kids and you're just getting angry and anger because they didn't take them to the cry room and you just Mm -hmm. you want to be able to focus or it's the argument that you had with your spouse or the frustrating thing going on in your work life or, you know, whatever it is that our minds can start to shift to that these external stimuli can maybe trigger us to thinking of again, to be able to sit for a minute and be like, okay, no, like I have the skill to be able to handle this. I have the skill to be able to refocus. I have the patience and the virtue to be able to say, you know what, Lord, like, thank you for those squirmy children. Cause it's the future of the church. Like they're mm-hmm. going to be the person sitting in my spot in 50 years mm-hmm. to almost be able to like, like my husband has this really good ability of if we're in a group of people and somebody starts gossiping about somebody else, like he's the guy who like immediately starts saying three nice things about that person that makes everybody else really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's just like, he's just trained himself to be like, you know what? I'm not going to let it go any further. I'm going to be the guy that jumps Mm -hmm. in with something positive. So it's almost like we have to train ourselves. Like I'm going to be the person who immediately thinks, you know what, Jesus, I trust in you and you're going to make this fruitful or Lord, thank you for that, that crying baby, or thank you for that frustration at work. Cause at least I have a job and like that I can't be frustrated about. Um, I want to conclude with the question that we've been asking all of our guests mm-hmm. at the wrap up of our series on the mass. It's kind of like our universal question, similar to pop culture, happy hour. What's making you happy this week yeah. is <laughs> what is your favorite part of the mass? And you can't just oh. say like the Eucharist, yeah. cause that's yeah. like the generic no, answer yeah. <laughs> who has worked in parishes, who has done speaking across the country, who's bringing your four kids with you but who also like is coordinating people coming into the church and getting to experience it for the first time. You go to mass on Sunday, mm-hmm. all of the conditions are perfect for total focus. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part of the mass? So my favorite part of the mass is probably the period of silence after communion. And I say that because one, I love silence. And also because it's that moment where sort of we've reached the peak, right? We've like hit the whole point. It's not the whole point. <laughs> We're not just there for, for receiving communion, but, and it's also the place where, and this goes back to the brain, right? We've, we've reached what we call a liminal space, right? That space in between of sort of blurring the edges between me and the person next to me, me and the Lord, right? Everything. And this physically happens in our, in our body as well. The lines blur and we sort of feel that we're doing it right where our skin kind of melts. <laughs> so that's really, uh, and we feel like, Hey, this person next to me is amazing. And God is amazing. And we feel that communion. Mm-hmm. And that for me is the ultimate purpose of not only mass, but the whole Christian life, right? Is that someday that feeling that we get for that one moment is going to be the reality that in the new heaven and the new earth, there won't be barriers anymore. Like, yeah, well, we're going to have our bodies and we're not going to be like, you know, just in a big blob of people or whatever. (laughs) But um, ultimately everything's pointing to that moment where we are one with the Lord and we are one with each other. And everything that tries to break that apart is finally gone. And that's what we're celebrating Mm. in Easter. That's that's Uh, so good. (laughs) So good. Shannon, where can we follow you? Where can we grab your book from Ave Maria Press? Yes. So you can read my book with my dear friend, Marcia Lane McGee. We have Fat Luther Slim Pickens. It's available from Ave right now. So just go to AveMariaPress.com and you can, as soon as you type in Fat Luther, it's going to pop up. There's no it other. Up, fat even when you just put in fat, it's the yeah, first book that pops exactly. up. <laughs> or Google, whatever. And so you could grab that. You can also listen to our podcast, which is called Plaid Skirts and Basic Black. It's on Apple Podcasts, just or Spotify and all the other places and finally you can follow me on instagram and on twitter at team quarter 
black. So Shannon, thank you so much for taking the time. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. It's great. (laughs) As I'm sure you know, we record these podcasts over the course of a, a couple of months in preparation for the season. And Shannon's was actually one of the first ones that we got to record. And we had the conversation, we're talking about distractions, we're talking about the ways that our communal worship is something that we, we should never really take for granted. And that coming Sunday, when I brought my family to Mass, her words were kind of ringing through my head as Claire wanted to walk up and down the aisle and as Rose decided this was the day she had a gazillion and one questions to ask. And, and the point that Shannon continued to reiterate was that the way our minds and our hearts are attuned to the Mass and the celebration of the Mass and the work of the people, that those distractions are not something that harm us, but in fact can become something that it's almost a superpower, that we're allowing ourselves to lean into them, that we recognize the great beauty and the gift of that community in worship and how what I bring, what my kids bring, and what the the person behind me and the person 10 rows ahead of me, what we all bring to the table is this deep desire for communal worship. That's something really unique in the way we participate in the Mass, something we should never take for granted. This continuing conversation on the Mass, all of this taking place, we hope you're enjoying it. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to our podcast, if you'd give it a rating and a review. We're always grateful for your feedback. We want to let you know that Ave Explores has so many amazing things. We have our podcast, we have articles. We also have this great Instagram live conversation that happens on Mondays at 1130 Central on the Ave Maria Press Instagram page. This coming Monday, we'll be sitting down with my good friend, Emily Stimson Chapman, to talk about how to choose a parish, how to make a decision that maybe I need to move parishes, how to realize that... This is a place that I want to worship with my family, and here's how I can contribute to the community as a whole. So that conversation's coming up Monday on Instagram at 11.30 Central, just like 20, 25 minutes, super casual, but usually great discussions. You can find all of our Ave Explorers lives over on our Instagram page, including this past week, we sat down with my good friend Ike Indolo to talk about music in the Mass. Another thing that we offer to you at Ave Maria Press, we have these podcasts, we have these articles, we have these Instagram lives, so many great things. Find it all at our website, AveMariaPress.com. We'll be back next week to talk even more about the Mass, about diversity in worship, about the Latin Mass versus the Novus Ordo Mass. So many great things coming. Make sure you're subscribed to our podcast to not miss anything. We're grateful you were with us this week, and we'll see you soon. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.